0: The Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 46. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. We have a special Rivalry Week Go Gopher podcast for you this week as we look back on the Iowa game and look ahead to the Wisconsin game with Gophers Guru Daniel House from GophersGuru.com. He'll give us a deep dive into what went right, what went wrong, and then take a look at the keys to this week's upcoming game in Madison. And we'll go behind enemy lines. We have a great guest coming up, a badger and report, and an update from their very outstanding play-by-play announcer Matt LaPay who's been with the Badgers more than 30 years. We're thrilled to have him on the Go Gopher podcast this week. Matt is an 11-time Wisconsin sportscaster of the year and one of the very best in the country. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million Million dollars in revenue than anyone, and True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to one hundred fifty million dollars. Get it confidential, no cost, no obligation. Business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit SunbeltMinnesota.com or TNMA.com today. We're also glad to have Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union with us on the Go Gopher Podcast. Affinity Plus has been a long-time Gopher supporter. Affinity Plus is more than just a financial institution. They support so many good causes, including Gopher for Athletics, also a big-time supporter of Special Olympics Minnesota, and much more. You can find out more at affinityplus.org slash gophers. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland at champlininsurance.com. He's a big Gopher fan. We invite you to subscribe to the Go Gopher podcast. You can go back and listen to Go Gopher podcasts from weeks gone by. Last week, for example, we talked with Minnesota linebacker Mariano Sorimeram, who once again lifted the curtain on Gopher football and gave us a Great behind the scenes perspective. Please subscribe to the podcast. It's absolutely free to click that subscribe button and listen at any time. This week, it's episode 46. We have a rivalry week edition of the Go Gopher podcast. Gopher Guru Daniel House and the voice of the Badgers Matt LePay both will be along. Batting leadoff, though, let's break it down right now with the Gopher Guru. Here's our conversation with Daniel House. It's episode 46, the Go Gopher podcast. Our pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, the Gopher Guru from GophersGuru.com, our buddy Daniel House. And Daniel, good to see you.
1: Grim, good to see you. Uh, I know you, you, you're under the weather, you're down in your studio right now, so it's just, it's good to see you.
0: Yeah, man, I'm feeling fine, but uh, they they say I have to stay in, you know, so here we are, here we are. Hopefully uh, you know, by this weekend I'll be good to go and we'll have gopher and badger football on the radio, but uh, appreciate your concern, man. You're the first guy that's asked how I'm feeling, so I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Here's the deal, so the Gophers and Hawkeyes played a tight game on Saturday, and we're going to break it down here with Daniel House. Um, And I wanted to ask you this first because um, I do think PJ is taking more heat than he probably should um, right now in terms of his conservative nature of that game. Um, I didn't find it particularly that conservative when how well it was going uh, on the ground. Um, I think there are certainly second guesses. In fact, I would second guess something totally different. I thought they should have taken a few shots downfield with the young man, let him throw the football and and see if he can't hit one big, because Iowa, while they don't give up big plays, part of why I think that is, is because nobody ever attempts big plays, because they're all scared they're going to make a mistake, and my philosophy is, if you're going to make a mistake, make it 50 yards downfield, not 3 yards downfield to have it returned for a touchdown. Anyway, point being, um, the the, the strategy strategy to me the strategy against Iowa was either go all in and pass 55 times and try to get linebackers on running backs and tight ends on safeties and all that stuff or do what PJ did and just beat them at their own game and he was within 5 minutes and then again within 3 minutes of beating them at his own game and the two things kind of that happened were were mostly out of his control i know they could have called other plays but what are you going to do so i, I want to ask you first what what was what was your thought on that and feel free to disagree if you if you do cuz that's the beauty of the podcast
1: well, it's it's just like we talked about after the Purdue game. There's always like four or five plays in a ball game that end up making a difference. And you look at what the win probability was before the Calic Manis interception, seventy-four percent right before the snap yeah. interception occurs drops all the way down to twenty-six percent. So that type of a swing there is just tell it tells you how valuable turnovers are and how they can swing a game especially in that type of environment where it's cold you got the wind when you're going to the west there I mean that impacted people's ability to score in that game going toward that end zone so that factors into a lot of decisions that you have to make I mean you lost a combined 69 percent of win probability between Mo's fumble and Cali Comanis's interception I was saying I'm like you know, if they review this thing and call it a touchdown, so be it. It's better. You know, there's 2:08 left on the clock. Yeah. You, know, you, 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 not, you, they're not able to bleed that thing down. It was a good thing PJ had a couple of timeouts available, unlike the first half, to be able to call a couple on defense to be able to even get the ball back to have a chance. I think that's the bigger thing I would say from the first half. Is wrote about it on the website this week. Just operational timeouts. I define those as like, you know, not being able to get lined up correctly, trying to make a decision on whether to go for it, to punt, you know, those types of things where you have to call a timeout for, you know, disorganization or something not going right, not having personnel in the field. I think one of them was they had 10 guys on defense they had to call timeout and burn it there at like the one yard line. Right. So not having those timeouts, I felt like sort of impacted the strategy at the end of the half in the two-minute drill. You didn't have anything to really work with there.
0: Yeah, and I, I think too, um, and we've, we, you and I have talked about this, I think coaches sometimes, um, and, and this isn't just uh, P.J. Fleck, like there was 50 seconds left. It wasn't like eight seconds. Like you can run, even today on his coach's show, P.J. said, um, you know, our plan was hope to get the first and then you can clock it and then you get two plays. And I'm like, well, 48 seconds, you don't need to clock in. Any- Anything you can get three plays off, you can run the ball at least twice, and if you have an incomplete, it's fine. There's why it down there like like 48 seconds is an eternity basically from the 12 yard line or wherever it was. So I I probably again I I, I love it that um, it the result of the play matters more. Uh, so if they the pass is incomplete, right? it was the right
1: design. Yeah, it was the right design. I mean, split zone flow. They built off of it. They'd been using that a bit. He bluffs that backside block and leaks out. I mean, it's there. I don't know. I'm interested in the progression there. What's the progression of that play? You know, is there an alert there for when that backside defender crashes, you're letting the ball out? Because if if that ball is completed, it's a touchdown and, and nobody's even talking about that.
0: Yeah, I think the in re-watching it last night, uh we're talking about the third and one play right before the missed field goal at halftime with around fifty-ish seconds. Um, Span yeah. is is there. Um, I think it was Benson maybe the linebacker, the in bit, but Benson had to make a decision. He knew he was beat. Like, like, he couldn't guard the guy. I don't even know if that was his assignment. You could see, and he just made the decision, well, I'm just going to go try to disrupt the passing lane. And I believe in re-watching it that that was the factor, that that Ethan felt he didn't have a clean... Throw to make. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good decision. I don't know if that was by design. Like he's, well, I'm beat, so let's just go. And he did. He disrupted it, threw his hands up, and then Ethan came back to a, a secondary target. But I guess the interesting thing to me is if PJ on third and one there hands it off and most stuff for a one yard loss. Um, then people are like, oh, so conservative, but now they go for play action when everyone knows they're going to run and it doesn't work. And people are like, well, they've been running it down their throat. Why wouldn't you hand it off? And even PJ on the radio show today said everyone in the building knew we were going to run on third and one. So he called play action. Well, everyone knew like, all through the third and fourth quarter on third and three, you were going to run and you still got seven or eight yards every play. So there are no right answers. That's the thing. Everyone can look at it with the beauty of hindsight. Right. And and so I don't blame the play call. I, I, and I don't know if I'd go for it there, or if I'd kick a field goal, I think, um, on fourth and one with, with 48 seconds or whatever it was, um, uh, you know, maybe I would have gone for it and tried to get a touchdown and go in with the lead. But there's something to be said for being even up after you're down 10-0 too. Um, I don't. What, what did, did the uh, what, what did the the chart say? Uh, go for it on fourth and one there, or kick?
1: Yeah, the chart said to go for it in that situation. It was like in the very interested category. I have like a somewhat interested category and a very interested. It was in the very interested. However, I believe that when you get that number, you have to blend the football instinct into that. Yeah. So for me, I'm looking at the game going okay. You're not kicking into the wind here, okay? You got the wind at your back. It, you know if you if you're able to execute make the kick, you tie the game. It's basically a new game at halftime. So I felt like in the cold weather, you're not factoring that into it, the, the premium of the points and still the wind swirls through that stadium, you know, it's well, kind of saw it on the kick, up. right? I know. And it's like, goodness, it, it, you know your strategy. I feel like the str- I I want to know what the strategy would have been if you had timeouts available. There. Yeah, because that whole sequence might have looked different leading into maybe you're not even in that short yardage situation there where it's like okay now you know you can throw the ball over the middle you can run the ball a little bit more on the drive, uh, maybe be more aggressive in that sense. But you know it's just it comes back to those. You're going to look back on this season, Grim, and go. There's just a handful, maybe 10 plays over the course of a couple of losses where if you're able to make those, you're probably looking totally different. I think the play that nobody's talking about is early on in the first quarter, I was fourth and two. Oliver blitzes off the edge. Hits him. They they hit that tight end delay there, and Petras is just able to step away from it enough that, you know, if you can get a turnover on downs there, I, I believe a turnover and downs is just like a takeaway. Yeah, I mean, the shift in win probability, the shift in all the numbers that you look at there, the flow of the game, it's three to zero. You know, they're not able to get in the end zone there and get up 10 to nothing. That play, I felt like if you were able to execute that there, you had a run at the quarterback. If If you can make that play. It, it might have changed the flow of the game, I guess.
0: I 100% agree because it's 3-zip at that point. You get good field position, and they're a tick away. I mean, they're just a tick away. Braylon Oliver hits him, um, and he still has the ball at contact. And for him to stand strong, Petrus, who hasn't been very good most of the year, and to make that throw, the, the Gophers, um, you know, boy, the, the, and I'll ask you later on about the tight end. I think it was 190 yards receiving to that position. They had, uh, I think, about 90% of the total yards. It just has been a, that was the Penn State factor as well. The tight end has been a, a bit of a buckaboo for this defense that has been very good in just about every other aspect, including the play that set up the field goal to win it, uh, that seam route right down the seam where um, they got the Gophers to to bite a little bit on play action, and Petrus threw a strike, which he hasn't been throwing strikes. And against the Gophers, he does. And I mean, look, there's so many different things. T-Time has the ball on his shoulder, and uh, yet the ball sticks to Campbell's fingers like he's wearing Lester Hayes' stick and, um and he goes down the the sideline, and even when it doesn't go right for Iowa, like that should have been a touchdown, it still benefits them because had they scored, Minnesota, as you said, has two, two and a half minutes to, to try to at least tie it, but as it stood, um, you know, they, they call it back, they make the mistake, and then they hit the, the beautiful seam route and set up uh, an ability to milk the clock. And then the fiasco at the end uh, where Brian Ferentz throws his headsets and um, it looked to me hey. like the ref was winding the clock. So they, you could see in the background was, Brian Ferentz was saying, don't kick it yet, don't kick it. We can." They, they could have milked it down to nothing and kicked it with no time, which I don't know administratively if that's right. I, I don't know how Iowa would get two 30-second play clocks out of that, but basically that's what was going to happen because when they went to review the fumble, their play clock had basically got down to nothing. They were going to call a timeout. They didn't they stopped mm-hmm. it for review and then they're going to restart the play clock. I don't think that administratively if that's right they got to change that rule. That would be unfair. Anyway, they were mad. They were throwing headsets. They get the uh, timeout. Uh his dad took the timeout much to his chagrin, but they had already snapped it. So it didn't, you know, they weren't going to run time. Yeah. But all of that stuff, it's just weird how how stuff like that happens. But I agree, the near sack uh, makes if it's 3 nothing you get good field position. Who knows how it changes the game and all kinds of different different plays in there. Ibrahim 800 plus carries, three fumbles in his entire career. And somehow on that play, what was the win percentage, Daniel, by the way, right before that play? It was a third and six.
1: Um, It was it was pretty high. I think it was about 70 percent. Let me check for you.
0: And, and, and on top of which, as you check, I'll just bring up some background on that. I think it was around five minutes or so, was it, or so, when that um uh when, when that fumble happened and even if you yeah, can't kick- so it
1: was seventy, it was around seventy-one percent at that point. Yeah. A twenty two percent drop there in win and win percentage or
0: win probability. And then where was it, did you so seventy one there and then where was it on the interception? It, it was seventy-four. Yeah, so about the same. For the interception. Yep. Yeah, statistically just about the same. I mean, what are the probabilities that a team would have two uh, under five minute chances of seventy two and seventy four percent and lose the game outright in regulation in a tie well, game? Well, you
1: should see you should see the win probability chart. It looks like the EKG of a of a Gopher fan <laughs> watching the game, a guy I mean. having a
0: heart attack as Floyd Rosedale is going to Iowa City for it's a like state string. You, you see that spike, that
1: maroon spike, and then yeah. it's like bang, it goes down, and you can see right where the the catastrophic play happened, and that's what I said coming into the game. I thought two things would define it. Whoever made the least amount of mistakes and won the field position battle would end up leaving there with the victory. Iowa won the field position battle by 12 yards. They won the turnover battle 2-0. Uh, to zero. And you look at something I look at is expected points added, the total expected points added just on special teams, and you look at those numbers in the game, and Iowa – they had a, a positive 1.69 total EPA. The Gophers are negative 9.25. Yeah. So that that margin right there, it's sort of a way to look at complementary football. Like I, I kind of look at it through that lens and I like to see which team wins that battle or keeps it relatively close. And I just felt like, man, it, it, everything was coming together. I, I thought when Mo, you know, when Mo was trying to get that first down, I thought, okay, they're wearing them down here, just a couple more runs. And just milk this thing down, and then you know take away, and you know defense gets a stop. You got Terrell Smith with the ball. I mean, it would have been a tough play. He's sort of tripping, falling down, and oh, he had a shot at an interception. You imagine a pick six there, yeah.
0: Like, well, or even if he catches and falls there, because he's also I can't kind of breaking down to make the tackle on the on, on, on right. the running back, right? And but if he does happen to snag it. Um, the, the, it probably pops up to 80% win or, or higher now at that point because because you're closer and you're at a lower – part of the you know clockwise and, a, and at a much better field position so it just it, it um it, it's frustrating I get it and I know people want to scream and yell but like I said I thought there were two ways to try to win this game one do what Purdue does against them to win five straight before this year and that's just throw it all over the field and and hope you get matchups and and that's been a successful way at times over the years to beat Iowa or do what they did and it dang near worked I mean the margin of error is thin there's no doubt to get 300 plus rushing yards and only get 10 points to me that's the other thing here's some home work for you, and maybe you have it. Um, to me, the, um, the these close games recently against Iowa, the biggest thing has been throughout most of P.J.'s tenure, when they get into the red zone, they're pretty good at scoring touchdowns. They don't kick a lot of field goals. They just don't Minnesota. Okay. Iowa, on the other hand, kicks them, kicks all kinds of field goals. They, they stink in the red zone forever. Uh, the, in 2019, they, they led the country in field goals made. Keith Duncan was the kicker of the year because he had like 33 field goals in 12 games. Um, but when the Gophers went down there, they had to settle for field goal attempts. Uh, Iowa scored touchdowns early, and so for whatever reason that Iowa defense does this to people when the field shrinks and they only have to guard 12 or 15 yards, um, and I'm not even saying go for it, like pass up on the field goal. Uh, I'm saying never get to the point where you have to kick a field goal. Score on second and third down somehow, or on first down, and they just, against Iowa, it's hard and they haven't been able to do it. And it's crazy. To me, that's probably the biggest thing I would say uh, in this series as to why they've struggled, uh, because they missed a field goal in 2019. They missed a field goal down there last year. Um, And just don't get to field goal attempts. Score touchdowns like you do every other game of the year. And that would be a huge difference.
1: Yeah, I I thought that was a big factor as well, just being able to finish drives. Like I like to look at how often teams, you know, are able to cross the opponent's forty yard line. The Gophers were able to do it five times, came away with just ten points. That averages out to two points per opportunity, which is about half of where they need to be. Like I usually benchmark that around four point two five, somewhere in that range. So, you know, those games, you know, you, you have to be able to finish drives, like especially when you're playing with you know, the ball control mindset where you're gonna run the ball and it's working, you're being effective. When you're when you're, you know, bleeding the clock down, you gotta be able to finish those drives with touchdowns, even if it's if it's just a couple of drives or one drive and then be able to, you know, kick some field goals. But you know, you're right. Efficiency in that area is a big factor. I mean, Iowa, they're one of the worst teams in that in that statistic. I think they're like two point eight points per opportunity, which is like bottom five in the FBS. So it's like it's always a battle of who's going to be just a little bit more efficient when they're able to get those scoring opportunities. Yeah,
0: Here's a weird theory, too, that I hadn't thought of live on the air, but somebody brought it up to me today as we were just having an off-the-record discussion. When Callie McManus uh, throws the interception, right? It's third and seven or so. Um, And and the Gophers, it is amazing, and this is something I'll ask you, too, Um, and and this is nothing against Trey Potts or, or or Bryce Williams, but it's amazing how much better this team runs with Mo. I mean, I know he's a good running back, but and and it didn't seem last year to be as big of a drop off. Maybe the line was a little better, and maybe Trey Potts just was more comfortable with those carries. I know, but uh, they a couple drives got thwarted when he had to take himself out of the game, and the Gophers just couldn't gain yards. Um, uh, that said. Um, on Kelly so it's third and seven, Trey Potts has to come in on one of those plays and they throw it on, which I think probably factored into the decision right, to to probably throw on third down. If that just drops incomplete, if, if uh, Jack Campbell does what Terrell Smith did and it just bounces off his hands, um, then to me the theory was you either go for it or you kick a long field goal, which would have been like 52 yards into the wind, which you can't do. I hadn't thought of it, but uh, how much time was left there on it? How much? Yeah, punt it, right? Punt it, punt it into the wind, pin them deep, get the ball back and kick a field goal to win it. That would have been really beating Iowa at Iowa's own game. So again, it's just one of those weird things. If that ball just just bounces off and and flies 50 yards past like normal, like that, you know the. But no, it bounces up and Iowa had a guy there, and that that is one thing. I know our buddy Burns, he's, uh offended by the fact that Iowa keeps winning games this way, and it can't be sustainable. It can't be sustainable. And I always say, look, if you're well coached and you're always in the right spot. Um, you make plays like this. But those are just the weird things, and people are going to say, well, Grimm's just making excuses. But this is one of those games. Look, I thought last year there were things they could have done against Iowa. I thought this game plan was was there, and just some funky stuff happened. And look, you punt there. You can punt there, and, and maybe you'd still win the game in regulation, right? Well, yeah, you backed him up and piled in the
1: previous situation, you know, where you said, "All right, you know, go get, go get a three and out, and then you're going to get good field position well, again." Mo's and fumble. that happened in the yeah. previous sequence.
0: And even after most fumble at the nine, they they get the ball back to set the set the uh, drive up that ended in the interception. But again,
1: it all comes back to field position. When you're playing Iowa, you know they're always going to have a talented punter. They they put the details into that. You know, they just reload at those specialist spots. And when you're playing in these Big Ten West games where, you know, every game is close, you look at the numbers of how many games are decided by one score. You know, I'm amazed by that. And who scores first is such a big factor. Who can get off to a quick start. Like, all of those things matter, and Iowa is always very good at that. Like, coming out with the first play of the game with the screen, the the middle screen to the tight end, you know, jet motion stretches the defense out. You know, you're sending pressure from the boundary, and they run that screen right into it, and it sort of set the tone for the game, you know? Yeah. You're kind of slowing that pass rush down naturally because of the threat of the screen. And I just thought, you know, there were some good looks that they, that they ran there, and they asserted
0: themselves early, which was key. And it gave Petrus, who, as we mentioned, has not been very good um, – some some confidence. I thought he actually played with with some some swagger more than I have seen uh, in, in in recent times with him. Uh, the other question I had: Wisconsin the week before against Iowa had six sacks. They pressured. They blitzed. Um, what what's the blitz percentage? Do you have that? What, what did uh, Minnesota decide to do defensively? How often did they send an extra guy? Or how you define a blitz? And was it more than you thought? Less than you thought? What would you have thought there from that standpoint? Because I know late in the game they were rushing three actually a lot and dropping eight. Into coverage,
1: yeah. I, the the philosophy was, I mean, they dashed it in a little bit. I actually thought it was about what I was anticipating. It was, I think, it was around nineteen percent total blitz in that game. So you know, I thought maybe they'd mix in some, you know, simulated pressures where they, you know, drop a defender and send a second or third level defender from another spot because Wisconsin did that a lot against, yeah. Iowa, but I think some of the looks that they were getting, they were, you know, they were doing a really good job of defending the run. Like the wide zone stuff, they were blading through blocks. They were getting penetration. They were setting the edge for the most part on the backside. Like, and then you get that very, very well-timed cat blitz from the corner, Terrell Smith, and Peters doesn't even see it. Like, I thought that was a huge play in the game. I thought that could be like a turning point oh, no. moment. You know, they had just picked up that big play with that misdirection run. You could feel the flow of the game just kind of shifting a bit and then they make that big play. And that sort of, I, I just thought this is a moment where Minnesota can take control of this game again.
0: Well, the radio announcer said it'd be a good time for a sack, so t time must have listened. So I'm going to uh, give credit to myself for getting T time that one. So there you go. Um, so you mentioned to me before we came on, you had about five plays that maybe define the game. I know we've talked about a few. What, what else, have, you, have we hit on all of them, or what, what other plays stand out to you?
1: Yeah, we hit on all of them. Yeah. I'd say those those you know turnovers, the third and one play, you know, sort of the sequence leading into that, the Oliver miss sack, you know that. I just think that was a yep. That was a big play if you're able to convert there.
0: Yeah, I agree. No, no question. So they ended up, uh, you know, the the first half I think Ethan was what six of seven or seven of eight something like that. Just one incomplete, and then second half they didn't have to throw much, and I was okay with that, especially you know people had said, well, you can't win against Iowa by what you did against uh, Northwestern and Rutgers, but yet they were within an eyelash of doing it. Um, what did you think? And then late, you know, he's just throwing desperation stuff and had three or four incompletes there to make him go what one for eight or whatever. They just didn't throw much what was your thinking on how aggressive like I said if I was to nitpick I'd say I would have cut the kid loose and showing his arm off and throwing two or three balls 50 yards downfield just to see what what might happen against a defense that's used to only having to defend 15 yards because everyone's scared to do anything against him.
1: I liked some of the stuff I saw in the first half, like a uh, leak and Malt in the flat, getting a you know high percentage completion, you know, settling into the soft spot of the zone with Brevin, getting him the football. And, you know, they ran a, a crossing route to Daniel Jackson, which created some conflict because uh, Moe's route leaked out into the flat, you know, off the play action, I believe. And then, You know, it created just enough traffic and space that Daniel Jackson was able to flatten off the route and, you know, they were able to make that completion. And then hitting Lemecki, like you felt a a flow on that drive where I thought maybe in the second half, you know, just coming out with – you know, a couple completions, high high efficiency completions, you know, getting the ball out in space to to maybe get, you know, five, six, seven yards. I'm not talking about taking deep shots because I think the the coverage that Iowa runs doesn't sort of yield to, you know, taking a ton of deep shots unless you're able to really scheme them up where, you know, you're able to clear out defenders and then, you know, vacate, you know, vacate players and get into open space. So I didn't even feel like... That was as big of a deal. But I thought, you know, blend in a couple of quick hitting concepts in there to just sort of keep the rhythm going. Because I thought that one drive where they were able to go right up the field, they blended between the run and pass very well there. And I thought it stretched some things out, you know, gave gave the defense some different looks. But I also understand that, like, you know, the it, personnel kind of plays into that. What do you feel comfortable doing with the receivers that you have, you know your quarterback that's got limited experience. Like we're not up to speed on what the conversations are, but I do think moving forward into the future, it, being able to you know dash in some quick hitters and some intermediate stuff in, in between that, I think that's what made the 2019 offense so good. It was either multi-dimensional. I don't even like to call it balance. I call it like what is the defense giving you? You know, are they putting an extra hat in the box, which teams are doing to take away the run? Are you able to win vertically with speed and sort of put some stress on, or you know, get your guys going vertical and hit underneath? You know, I think they were able to do that a lot off by, you know, you know, using play action and sort of building off building off of the run game. So that's the next step, I think, as they start to, target personnel, maybe bring in a couple of transfer receivers, like looking ahead, that's the next element, being able to be fully multidimensional. So I feel like you know the offensive staff is just trying to do what they can with the with the personnel right now.
0: Yeah, and 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 be efficient at it. Be efficient at both. And if you're efficient, and it at both, almost worked. Yeah, you know, and and what have you. So hey, I got to real quickly mention Affinity Plus. They're your local credit union, proudly serving Minnesota since 1930, and a proud sponsor of the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm. As a current Gopher student, or if you're a proud Gopher alum, that makes you eligible to join this financial wanting to build a meaningful banking relationship with you and put you first. You can meet with a local employee at any of the branches statewide, including right off campus in Minneapolis or anywhere else. You can learn more and find out other ways to connect by visiting affinityplus.org slash go gophers affinityplus.org slash go gophers Affinity plus federal credit union federally insured by NCUA. We thank them for their support of Gopher Athletics, of the podcast. They also do so much for the state with the Special Olympics Minnesota, the Polar Plunge coming up. We'll have more on that in a podcast a little later on. Alright, just a few minutes left with Daniel House, Gophers Guru Dot .com Daniel tell us about your uh, about your webpage for those that uh, haven't uh, learned about it yet if not why not but if you haven't here's what it's all about
1: it's a subscription based website where i kind of take a next gen approach to football you know educating fans on things that i look at trends that i see blending film and the numbers together and then also doing features and different news stories just to keep fans informed. A unique way of go for football and blending some basketball as well. So you can check it out. Five dollars a month is the subscription
0: package. How did you I haven't asked you yet this on the podcast or if I have, I've forgotten I asked you. How did you how did how did your love for this kind of analytics and football come about? It, you know, I
1: I just have always looked at the game unique. Like I started uh, ball boying when I was in elementary school and I did it with a hall of fame coach and I just fell in love with the strategy of the game. Like I go sit in there in third grade and watch the coach put stuff up on the board. And I, I would like ask like, what, what does this mean? Like, <laughs> what is this? I learned about things. And then as I went on, I said, you know, I'm so interested in how can how can you gain an edge? How can you do things differently? And and the craze sort of started to hit, but then I said I want to come up with some different ideas for how I watch the game. I watch it a little bit differently than people. So
0: yeah,
1: uh, I, I have I have my own ideas. Some people might think they're crazy, but. I do see some of it come to fruition, so it, it, it's something that I love to do. It's a passion of mine.
0: It's so. great stuff. Gophersguru.com. I, I, I highly endorse it and encourage folks, particularly if you're Gopher fans, but if you're just football fans, it's an opportunity as well to uh, to learn about the game. It really is cool. And, and I'm a geek that way as well. I I played football through the eighth grade, and that was it. And after that, I, I think I, I see the game, though, clearly in terms of, I don't know what you know uh, chip blocks and defenses and, and some of that are, but i I understand, you know, uh, the, the the game in terms of, oh, well, maybe they should go for it or, oh, maybe the, the, the play here is to punt or maybe the play here is play action. They're cheating with extra guys in the box. And so I'm always fascinated by the numbers as well. Um, but, you know, it always comes back to, Grim. you got to be able to blend that football
1: instinct yeah. with that. And that's what I really value is, you know, you got to be able to also have the human element, the scheme side of it. But it, it gives you information to make better decisions and to look at the game through a different lens. So that's what I try to do is find, strike that balance, you know?
0: Yeah, just as a a very elementary example, for example, I wonder uh, what models might say on that, let's say on the 8th and Cali manus interception. So I don't even know if there's a model that says, oh, should you run or throw here in this situation? But if you just pour raw numbers in on that down third and seven, it's probably, oh, you should throw. But that's against, I don't know if the raw numbers would indicate it's against a team that is number one in interceptions in the last six years in the NCAA, right? So will raw numbers tell you that or not? And so that becomes a little riskier, and I think that's the blend, right, mm-hmm. that you're talking about, like okay, against, against a lesser defense, maybe this is the perfect throw. Um, against a team that leads the country in interceptions over the last six years, and I'm not questioning the throw. I'm, I'm doing this more, and I, I would have thrown there yeah. probably myself. Um, I'm not questioning that part of it. I'm just using this, that as an example of, uh, you have to blend that a little bit to consider the raw numbers tell you something, but the flow of the game who you're playing how good you are at throwing the ball if you have you know uh just a general let's say it's some high school team that is starting a 10th grade quarterback that's never played that yep. that model doesn't matter right i mean you probably right so so that that's the blend and that's the beauty of it for sure all right so what are the numbers tell us about wisconsin just a couple minutes left here with the gophers guru daniel house what what do you see the gophers needing to do saturday in in your home state of wisconsin
1: yeah, well I watch I watched the, the film, looked at the numbers a bit, and you know, I, I think this game is going to come down to like it always does, first and second down. Who's more efficient on first and second down? The Badgers are a team that has to stay have to stay on schedule. Run the football, with Braylon Allen. You got to swarm. You got to be able to take him down. You can't arm tackle. Minnesota's done a very good job of this in recent years against him. So I would say being able to effectively defend the run and get Wisconsin into passing down situations. They're one of the worst teams in the FBS in a lot of categories once you get them into passing down situations. So I think that's key. And then Graham Mertz being able to apply pressure. Graham Mertz has completed 61% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, and five interceptions from a clean pocket this year, versus 44% with two touchdowns and four interceptions while under pressure. So you look at the difference between him when he's in a clean pocket versus facing pressure, you got to be able to apply uh, you know, a good rush and and get the get the pressure rates up to impact throws. I think on the other side of the ball, Wisconsin's defense has gotten better. I've noticed a huge difference since the return of Alexander Smith, their cornerback. Uh, I just think that Wisconsin, you always know that Jim Leonard's gonna have a really good defensive scheme, you know, blending between the base three, four and some four-down stuff. And then, you know, John Torchio, their safety is a big weapon. They move him all over the place and do a lot of creative things to maximize his skill set. So, you know, I I, I know he's going to come in with a scheme where they have simulated pressures and creepers and a lot of different things that will stress protection. So got to be able to protect very well. And then, like, I think the theme's been the same, Grim, where you got to be able to hit on those five or six key passing plays right now those those ones that become available you can't miss on it you can't drop the ball like you're gonna have to make every single play that's presented to you and just be efficient continue to run the football but also blend in the pass and and, you know it doesn't need to be vertical stretch necessarily all the time. I just think you got to stretch the defense out and make them defend every inch of the field.
0: Well, no one thought that the Gophers, even though they've been really efficient at running, could put 300 on Iowa, really good defense. Uh, Assuming a healthy Mo, uh, you know, I know he came out late in that game. Uh, Let's assume he's healthy. Um, what, What kind of success can they have running the ball against this Wisconsin defense?
1: Yeah, I know you. You go and you look at the numbers. Like I filtered the numbers out when Jim Leonard took over because I think it's a totally different team, and you have some, you know, philosophical differences. But since that happened, they have the third best rush defense in expected points added per play. Their fifth and opponent rushing play success rate. Keanu Benton, I think, is one of the best D T S in the Big Ten right now. Will definitely be on a lot of draft radars. So. I, I'm interested to see what the type of scheme is, especially if, you know, Nick Herbig's unavailable. It sounds like they might appeal that, but if he's out for the first half, he's one of their most dynamic weapons, top player in pressures. Huge factor of what they do. But I, I believe, you know, you're, you're going to have to, you know, continue to be creative with the, with the ground scheme. There's subtle details every week that Minnesota puts in, you know, whether it's formationally, whether it's like with the split zone flow, like how they make their reads and it makes it difficult for the defense to you know scheme for it and they have to adjust in the game so i think those are the details maybe that people don't notice but minnesota's done a nice job of making those subtle tweaks to help the run game and then when you got mo Who's just phenomenal at pressing the hole, waiting for those blocks to develop. Like nobody can create space like him. It's crazy. I mean, it's not there, but he can do that. It's just, it's incredible. I I Gopher fans just need to appreciate and enjoy these, this, the moments with Mo because he's just sensational.
0: Well, and I thought against that Iowa team. so what, what Mo on that outside zone, and again, they have d- much, you know, different versions of that. Uh, what he, although over the years to me has always done is he just keeps running and all of a sudden you're like, Holy cow, he got eight yards. Where did that come from? He just, you know, but what he did against Iowa was totally different. He would start it and then you say, I guess, press it or whatever and go against the flow almost. I, I couldn't believe Iowa could not figure it out. He, I mean, huge holes. Um, you know, it was, it was amazing. I mean, he was off to the races three or four different times and, um, you know, a step or two away from from touchdowns, which would have probably put the game away as well. But um, the way he pressed that and would cut back, and then there were times where he'd start to cut back, and the backside guy would come in, and he'd fake him out too, and go. It was, I mean, what what a game he had! It was just amazing against a great defense.
1: His feet. He- his feel, his instinct. I mean, the guy's running so hard, his face mask's falling off. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, it. you just can't even write a script better than that. Like, this guy leaves it all out on the field. That press conference after the game, like, watching him and what he poured into that game and the emotion of, like, 800-plus carries, four fumbles – like that guy wanted that game so, so, so bad.
0: Well, that's one of those deals. I know PJ talks about it. It's, it all you can do is say it's a lesson because, um, you know, uh, Mo deserved to have that game go as a win with how he played. And I thought the Gophers probably deserved the win, but Iowa made the two plays when they mattered and, um, and, and there you have it. But uh, yeah, if there was justice in the world, Mo has a big game and he gets to chop the goalpost down in Madison on Saturday. Let's hope that's the case.
1: Yeah, I thought the O-line played good too, Graham. I mean, yeah. we talk about Mo, but I, I believe this group's gotten better every week. Like, staying low, firing off the ball, getting movement, climbing into the second level. Like, this group, I felt like in the middle of the season, they were still trying to figure some things out as they adjusted to get to the Big Ten. But now that we're at this point where the season's progressed, I thought the last two weeks have been really good from that group. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, hey, we appreciate it. Gophersguru.com, Daniel House, with the breakdown of rivalry weeks last week week with the hawkeyes and this week with the badgers daniel uh give us the web page again and um, and all the info
1: gophersguru.com and you can check out my work at daniel House nfl
0: on twitter awesome always appreciate it oh you lunch or something all right all right. Well, we're going to get lunch. We're, we're going to get lunch before basketball Let's game. Do or Let's do it. Let's do it. Sounds good. There he is, Daniel House, the Gophers guru. It's episode number 46, the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm. My thanks to the Gophers guru, Daniel House, for his great insight on Gopher football and helping us understand the game a lot better. When we come back, we'll go behind enemy lines with the great Matt LaPay. The voice of the Wisconsin Badgers is next.
1: I'm Clay Geary, walk-on, turn scholarship, wide receiver for Gopher football. And I'm Ben Utek, U of M alumni, Super Bowl champion, and Tony Dungy, Uncommon award winner. We understand championship culture, which is why we're part of the True North family of companies. True North invests in only elite teams, like the champion team at Sunbelt Business Advisors, Minnesota's largest seller of companies. To learn more about True North and our diverse family of independently owned companies, visit truenorthequitypartners.com.
0: Hey, Gopher fans, this is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital for everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900 or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat. Sky UMA, go Gophers. Episode number 46. Welcome back. It's the Go Go for podcast with Mike Grimm. My pleasure to welcome to our program Matt LaPay, the very fine play by play announcer of the rival Wisconsin Badgers. It's rivalry week. And Matt, I can't wait to get to Madison, Wisconsin. It's uh, outside of the uh, plush and ostentatious radio booth. Uh, everything else is great about the trip to Madison.
2: It's nothing but five star in that booth, right? So, no, looking forward to it. This is always my. Uh, it's, if it's not my favorite game, it, it, it's pretty close to it. Just the rivalry and being split down the middle, pretty much over the course of the history of this series. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be good to see you guys.
0: Again. Yeah, we we get you back a little bit by where we stick you for basketball, I guess, right? <laughs> That's,
2: yeah, kind of the end zone seats. But then again, uh, visiting radio at the Kohl Center, you need a you need binoculars to to see basketball there. Yeah. So they bite the uh, inside scoop though. But uh, you guys come to Madison for basketball? I, I this can't.
0: I, yes, I think we do in early
2: January. Yeah, you might kind of a good news, bad news. You might be on the floor. Oh, but um, but you might be close to uh, you might be close to Coach Johnson. Oh, so nice. Hopefully, uh, nice. I hope that's not a false promise I just came. So, well, I guess we'll find out together.
0: Unlike our mutual friend Gary Dolphin at Iowa, who who needs to be on the floor, um, I actually don't mind the location in Madison because I'm more of a space guy. When you work next to a six foot ten guy, so mm-hmm. the, the where we're at for now, we're really getting inside scoop. But that's why people listen to a podcast, Matt. So here we go. Uh, that's right. So we get the visiting radio. Basketball broadcast team gets the home television hockey booth at the Kohl Center, so we're way up high, and it is a long ways away. Uh, and I do need glasses, so we, you know, you, you know, and you can see that I do usually pack the binoculars. But I like it because there's plenty of space. Um, there, there, you know, and and because you, you know we go to some places, Illinois, they put you in about a four foot stretch for four people and all the gear. Our our engineer packs <laughs> like he's going to land a seven forty seven every game, so it um, it gets tight. So I I actually don't mind the spot. In, in the Cole Center, it, it, it because of the space, it's a good bird's eye view. You don't have Ed Hightower standing in front of you blocking your view, and um, and it's all right. It's all right by me.
2: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I switched with a couple of guys who I knew just really didn't want to be upstairs, um, you know, with with vision issues or whatever, and I found the same thing. Space. Space matters for us, Mike, and, yes. you, and you can't spell media without M and E. So it's really, it's, you know, it's all about me <laughs> at, at the end of the day. So, yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, and as always, we, we, I've already digressed into, we're going to talk football and rivalry week and the acts. And here we are talking about us as always. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, do we have to talk football? Yeah, oh, no I thought kiddie. we were just talking broadcast. I was going to ask you how Tollickson's golf game is, is coming along because this summer I, I, I did get a, I, I had a great view of, of a guy who can hit it a million miles off the tee who actually – Looks like he's played the game a little bit. He can really play. Irritating.
0: Yeah, he can play. He he gets a little sporadic off the tee, but I suppose when you're sporadic at 330 yards off the tee, it's better than guys like you and me, where when we're sporadic, it's uh, we we leave ourselves with long second shots uh, on occasion, and oftentimes second shots that aren't even playable. Uh, where um, yeah, Spencer can hit it, no doubt. Uh, we did have a fun time down uh, several of us around the Big Ten uh, again. Our, our buddy Gary Dolphin hosted us for a little golf outing. Was that in May? I think. Think, right. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, middle of May. That was a fun fun day, but yeah, Spencer can hit it, can he? Yeah, it was uh, you were in his foursome I was. It was
2: it was a good time. No, it was uh, it was great and we we set aside the whole Wisconsin Minnesota thing the most part. You know, he'll get that in there every now and then just how much he loves Wisconsin. Yeah. and particularly love former basketball coach Bo Ryan.
0: He'll get that in there every yes. now and then. Yes. But yes.
2: that's that's all the that's all part of the fun of this thing. That's all part of the
0: rivalry. You know, you figure the rivalry. I I know on our uh, side here of the state in terms of Minnesota. I have and you know, I grew up in Iowa, so I was on uh you know, uh, knew about the, the that rivalry as well, but uh, living now in the Twin Cities for for 17 years, the the Minnesota Wisconsin rivalry, I think because it includes hockey as well. Um, and it, you know, literally, you know, 15 minutes even from where I live here in the Twin Cities is the border. You know, I can get to Wisconsin in about a 20 minute car drive. Um, so that, that, I think, is the most intense of the Minnesota rivalries here in the Twin Cities amongst Gopher fans. Maybe you get south to Rochester and, and areas in southwestern Minnesota, it's Iowa. But I think here in the Twin Cities, that, that Wisconsin Minnesota rivalry is the biggest. And I don't know what it is like in Madison.
2: No, I think it's but it's much the same. I think, you know, mutually we all hate Michigan and Ohio State, yes. right? That, that's a given. But uh, here's a for instance for you, Mike, and this one hit me between the eyes. This was I want to say, you know, 10-12 years ago. It was we were having one of those summer out golf outings with our, you know, our corporate partners and and I was talking to my supervisor because an old high school friend of mine who actually is a Michigan graduate but he loves college football, he was saying, "Hey, you think you can get me tickets for for a game?" And thinking, which game? It was one of those years where Ohio State came to Madison. I thought, well, you know, let me check. Thank you. I've got several months' notice. So I asked the the supervisor at the time. I said, hey, this is a tough one, but if you can't do it, let me know. But, you know, just looking to, you know, purchase a couple tickets, you know, hopefully relatively decent seats for the Wisconsin-Ohio State game. He said, oh, we could do that. Just don't ask for Minnesota. (laughs) Wow. That was the t- that was the tougher ticket, yeah. And that that told me it maybe it just confirmed what I what I knew all along that the rivalry. And I mean, I grew up in Ohio, and when I first heard about Paul Bunyan's act, thinking, "What the heck is this?" <laughs> and it doesn't take long, you know. The one time, either you know your team wins it or their team wins it, and the parade lap, and you. You fake like you're going to chop down the goalpost and uh, it, it's uh, you kind of get you get caught up in it pretty quickly. Just even as a as a fan of the sport, it really is a it is a true, genuine rivalry where I think there's a lot of mutual respect with players and coaches. Uh, not a lot of love, yep. but there's a lot of respect, just the history of it and and the close the the closeness of the series we talked about. Was it 62-61 with eight ties? Yeah. That's a rivalry. That's not a hammer and a nail. That is a legit rivalry.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You think it's the most or the longest continuous played? Thank goodness they we we slid that twenty twenty game in there uh, at the end to to keep it going because I think there is something to be said to to keep it continuous and it's it's within one game. That said, uh, you know there was a string there, fifteen straight. uh, You know my first however many years here, it was it was uh, it was going Wisconsin's way, um, and that was good for the Badgers. But it also I think in a weird way was was it fed the rivalry in Minnesota because as they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And every year that went by that the axe did not at least reside in Minnesota for a bit uh, made you want it even more. And it was weird because when when the Gophers finally broke through in that 2018 game, that wasn't a particularly great Gopher team. It was P.J.'s second year. They they got to bowl eligibility with that win. But it was treated around the state like they had maybe won the national title. And I know some outsiders looked at that as if it was, you know, geez, what are they doing? And I, I think you just had to understand what it meant uh, to not have won that for 15 straight and it tells you about the importance of the rivalry and now you know it's two and two in the last four years and I think that may be not as good for Wisconsin but for the rivalry itself uh, like you say you can't be the the, uh, anvil and the nail all the time to to have it be you know who knows who's going to win it's a two-point spread this week right Uh, that's probably better overall for college football the Big Ten and and the rivalry itself
2: yeah, I think it brings in the casual fan. It brings in more casual fans to this game because, you know, look and, you know, from 2010 to you know, most of that decade, uh, Wisconsin was really, really good. The problem was Ohio State went totally next level. Uh, but, the you know, the Badgers were you know, winning division championships and trying to get back to the, you know, getting to the Big Ten title game and at that point dominating the series, but I, I do think, yeah, Mike, the last four years with it being split last year, Wisconsin going up to the twin cities with a chance to win the West and get back to the title game and, and losing and the fans storm, the field, you hear jump around. <laughs> That's all that kind of stuff that, yeah, these players are being reminded of it this week, Yes, but what it really does, but to the casual fan, it's like, yeah, this is uh this is real, and, and you know, talking with Jim Leonard uh, earlier this week about that. Uh, you know, he played ten years in the NFL. He was as a player, his teams won twice, lost twice to Minnesota, but he's a he's a big believer in these trophy games and, and senior day and all that stuff that you don't get in the NFL, which is which is great, best players in the world, but it's more of a corporate setting. we in college, as corporate as it's getting. Uh, and with all the changes that we know are going on, there's still things that separate the college game from from the NFL and these in-season trophy games and the Senior Day, the emotion that goes with that. That's still, to me, and I think to millions of fans. That's still what makes college football a little extra special,
0: for sure. I mean, even think this game, just in general, this week, you've got a seven and four Minnesota, who is you know playing for nothing more than uh, maybe bowl pecking order. There's they're not in the mix for the West. Wisconsin six and five, not in the mix. If it was just a normal, all right, it's just a Big Ten game, okay. But when you throw in Paul Bunyan's axe, it's the biggest thing going on right now.
2: My first year here was um, 1988, covering Wisconsin. Athletics, and that was a year where it was Don Morton's second year of three. The Badgers won one game that year, and it was uh, it was a game where they, as we would say, had a face for radio. It was ugly. <laughs> it just it was two teams that were really struggling. It was the only game Wisconsin won that year. But to see those guys. You know, there was this one player at Wisconsin named Jeff Weicker who grabbed the axe and I think really wanted to chop down the goalpost. It wasn't (laughs) one of those fake love tap things. I think he wanted to take a full swing. You you find out right away what what the game itself means. And I know it's cliche to say throw out the record, but I think there's a lot of truth to it here. This can be, you know, both teams are going to play in bowl games and that'll be a lot of fun for all those guys. Uh, You hope it is that the whole bowl experience, But I think this is the game that these kids remember. I mean, you asked the Gophers from last year, a very good year for Minnesota. But if, if you could pick one game, my guess is that game against Wisconsin would be the one where you do something special on your home field against your arch rival. That's what college football gives you.
0: Yeah, no question. I mean, they won a bowl game, but they remember that Badger game on Thanksgiving week for sure last year the most of of any of those games. There's 100% certainty there. All right, you you brought up, um, you know, uh, Coach Leonard. um, uh, It's been an interesting year for the Badgers and the program, a a program that has been, you know, stable. Now, there's been some coaching changes, but it's all, you know, over the last, uh, you know, couple of decades, but it's been, you know, kind of overseen by the architect of the whole powerhouse deal. Um, How surprised. Surprised were you that uh, that that the change happened when it did with Coach Christ and Coach Leonard and 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 kind of what, um, what what do you see since uh, within the program, Matt?
2: Well, I guess to answer the question about surprise, my wife and I were at a friend's house on that Sunday evening. We were ready to have dinner. we were, you know maybe pouring a glass of, uh, of vino, <laughs> and all of a sudden my phone was blowing up, and the vino went right back into the bottle. And I went down to <laughs> campus to uh, to be there for the the formal news conference. So. Uh, yeah, it was. I think it was a jolt to, to a lot of people. And, Mike, what I tell folks is that the hard part for me and, you know, you being an announcer, you can relate to this because you know the principles more than most and you work with them closer than most. And in this case, I have great admiration professionally and personally for Paul Christ, who I've known since my first year around here in 1988, uh, Chris McIntosh great admiration for i've considered him a friend as well and jim leonard uh, all of those guys so it'd be a lot easier if there was somebody you didn't like yeah but you like all of them so it it, it's stung in the moment um i know i've talked with paul he's gonna be fine you know everything is good but it's still a jolt when it happens so it's uh you're right there have been coaching changes here twice coaches have left right after big 10 championship games and then barry alvarez stepped in as an interim for the for their bowl games But an in-season change, that's usually the thing that happens somewhere else. Uh, But it got close to home. So how how have they changed? I think they've, you know, you can only change so much in the course of a season, Mike. But I think this team, and it's not to say that they were rolling over before, but they've shown a, a ton of fight here. And the recency bias to that statement was last Saturday at Nebraska. And we know the Huskers are not what they once were as a program. But, you know, Wisconsin is down 14-3 to going in the fourth quarter. They were making mistakes, which has been the kind of thing that's been hurting this team this year and really for the last couple of seasons. They were moving the ball well, and then they would do just enough on their own to stall the drive, a key penalty, whatever it was. And I didn't really, in my own mind, give them much of a chance in the fourth quarter. But they, they rallied in that game, and they won that game, and I'm not sure earlier in the year if they would have done that, uh, against a Washington state team early, it was there for them to win. They didn't do it. And this past week against Nebraska in is, you know, how cold it it was last weekend. It wasn't exactly balmy down in Lincoln. They fought through it. They found a way to get the ball in the end zone twice. The defense is playing as well as it has all season. So I'm not going to say the offense is great yet, but I think it has shown some more promise, um, With the you know last week not great Iowa not great you saw firsthand how good Iowa's defense is but they have shown I think a little bit more uh, for the most part in in recent weeks than what they had shown prior to the to the coaching change as well but uh, be interesting to see how all this ends up and what further changes will be made moving forward to try to get this offense cranked up because it's been a while since this offense has been at close to the caliber they want it to
0: be yeah and um you know from that standpoint you know when the when the move was made there was a lot of thought and obviously you're closer to it and and maybe you have to be careful with with what you say but uh do you foresee that that jim leonard is the front runner here to to be handed the reins to the program that he has devoted so much time to here
2: yeah it's 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 being careful to not state something that i don't know for sure mike i think a lot of people assume that that's going to happen Um, I think I've learned not to assume much here. (laughs) Um, As I've said, I'd I'd be all for it because I'm a big fan of Jim Leonard. But what I don't know and what really, you know, 99.9% of us don't know is who else is engaged, who else who might really be attractive has reached out, um, you know, what kind of conversations are going on. So I, I guess... The the beauty of our position is we don't have to chase this down. We just wait for the announcement. We react to it accordingly. So, like I said, if it's Jim, I'd stand and applaud. But I I guess I'm like most. I'm in a wait-and-see-mold mode. And uh, they'll tell me when they think I need to know.
0: <laughs> that's how that's how we live our life, no doubt, no doubt. That's right. <laughs> um, as for the game Saturday, um, it's interesting because there's so many, I think, similarities when you look at Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa. Though That trio of teams, how they play good defense, all of them top 10 kind of style of defense is here for a couple of years now. And you mentioned it, you know, we saw last week uh, that that game plan I thought P.J. Fleck put together, even though he's been kind of getting killed here locally a little bit in terms of being too conservative was really, I thought, the game plan to, to beat Iowa. They had to be patient, and they were positioned at the 11-yard line with about five minutes to go, and a guy who's fumbled three times and 824 carries coughs it up, and um, Iowa makes two uh, forces two turnovers and do what they do. And even when stuff doesn't go Iowa's way, it's, it's amazing with their defense. Jack Campbell should have had a pick six, it looked like. He, they, they said he stepped out. Replay showed he didn't. Had he not... In retrospect now, it's all hindsight, had he not stepped out and just gone and scored, Minnesota might have had three or so, three and a half minutes to try to go tie it. But he doesn't. Step, but they call him out. They make a beautiful play to a tight end. They set up the field goal. They milk the clock to 25 seconds, and, and basically the game's over. So even when stuff doesn't go their way defensively, it kind of does go their way, and that's how it's been. And Wisconsin's been good defensively. Minnesota's been good defensively. Last week, I think the Minnesota-Iowa game, Matt, was the lowest over-under on, um, on a college football game in, in betting history at 32. And I don't know what this week's is. I don't bet, uh, not because I'm against betting, it's just I don't have money, and the little bit I do, I would lose. So I just decide not to bet. I do follow it, though, just because I think it offers a baseline. Those numbers are meaningful. They, those guys know what they're doing, so just as a baseline. So 32, I remember talking to Dolph before the game. I said, if I was betting, I think I'd take the under, and it would have been right. And I don't know what the under is this week, but I'm taking it if I was betting.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, as I tell people, points will be at a premium. Every point will be precious in yeah. this game. And saying that the last couple of weeks with Wisconsin, you know, to, to tag your, your earlier point, though, about about that last game, you know, it, it, it when you have that many touches and that few lost fumbles, you have to think what happened was a fluke. I mean, credit Iowa for making a play. But well, Ibrahim is is a stud. I yeah. mean, as Jim Leonard said, it's time for him to move on. <laughs> he's, he's seen enough of them. But you think about that, Mike. Even you know, after the fumble, it was a bang-bang play. I'm not going to fault the kid for not coming up with the interception, but Petrus throws a pass that gets tipped, and was it was it Terrell Smith? Yeah. It kind of got it got to him like right now. Would have been a heck of a play if he would have made it. But it hit but him if in the does, hands. If, if it hits him in the hands, he gathers it. Either He either goes in or they give it to Mo Ibrahim in the next – one, two, or three plays later he's in, the whole thing changes, and then the game plan looks great. Columnists are saying, boy, this was a, it was a great approach. Yeah. You got your defense where you wanted it. We all know how that works. I thought, you know, I was watching that on, on the way back from Lincoln and rewatching watching it uh, here in the last day or so. It just shows you how, you know, the, the beauty of, of this sport, because we all love the 45-42 to 42 type of game, the USC-UCLA game of the weekend, but I thought it was a heck of a game the Iowa-Minnesota game, because you had two teams that, I mean, that was, you call it turn back the clock, Big Ten football, whatever, but it's cold, it's windy, you know, it's miserable, (laughs) but those guys are out there flying all over the place, and uh, I mean, Ibrahim, I've told, Mike, I've told people up here that Mo Ibrahim, he's got a Ron Dane workload right now, you look at the last five games and the 34-35 carries a week that, that he's had, that's what they did with Ronnie back in his time at Wisconsin. Uh the difference is Rom was bigger than than Ibrahim. I you know, whatever whatever he's listed at, he runs like he's about two forty. What is what, what are they listing yeah, at he's, like I two think
0: ten? Five yeah I, five five 210, two, ten, I think is what he's yeah, listed. Yeah. Uh,
2: but he but he has that battering ram way about him that would appear to make him seem much bigger. So uh I mean a ton of in you know running behind an offensive line that almost makes Wisconsin's look small (laughs) in some ways. But the similarities between the programs, you're right. Fundamentally sound, run the ball, stop the run, field position, don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, And as Leonard said earlier, earlier this week, the difference in last year's game, Minnesota was the more physical team. I would imagine the Badger players have been reminded of that
0: yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, I, I would say a challenge has likely been issued from the Badger coaching staff on that. And and even last week, Iowa, Minnesota, I thought Minnesota, well, clearly uh, for much of the last three quarters of that game, Minnesota was the more physical team, which is saying something because that Iowa defense is so good. But yet it was Iowa with uh, with its usual timeliness of of making plays. And people here have always talked about, you know, that Iowa thing that's it's a four or five year deal now where they've just gotten interceptions and turnovers at timely thing and it's like is that sustainable and it's like look if you're well coached and you're always in the right spot um uh, you're, you're going to have people make plays, and then I also think opposing coaches sometimes do get into this mindset of, ooh, you can't make a mistake against Iowa, which then only plays into their hands more because they don't have to worry about deep balls, and they don't have to worry about trick plays, and they don't have to worry about, you know, they don't have to worry about maybe 15 yards of the field to defend. That's it. And so even the pick six that merch through, you know, I'm sure when the Wisconsin coaches called that play, they're like, oh, well, this is a risk-adverse, safe play, but they don't have to worry about the deep pass because coaches are scared to do it. And so it's a pass, what, two yards past the line of scrimmage that turns into a touchdown. The one pass merged through deep was a touchdown, right, in that play in Iowa City. So uh, Iowa does do that to people, there's no doubt.
2: Iowa's longest scoring drive against Wisconsin was 27 yards. It's that crazy, led to a right? field goal. It was like 18 yards, 17 yards, the pick six, and then a 27-yard drive that led to a field goal. So... <laughs> That's what Iowa does to you, and and I think Wisconsin allowed. I don't even think it was 150 yards total yeah. offense in that game. Didn't matter. They got beat by two scores. That's what that's what Iowa does. And I I, I guess as you know, Badger fans go for fans. You have to grudgingly tip your cap to, yeah. to Iowa because they were the they were the uh, program. Everybody was laughing at. Can't get out of its own way offensively. And now, barring an upset, and you know Purdue. I would like Purdue's chances against Indiana. I would like Nebraska's chances against Iowa, but that's the only way that Iowa doesn't get back to the big 10 championship. Yeah, crazy. So, well, well, not and- fun to say, but, Facts or facts. Facts
0: or facts. And you're right. Everybody, you know, a month ago, that would have been a a terrible, speaking of betting, that would have been a terrible bet. You would say, oh, Iowa would have win the West. And it looks like that bet would probably be a winning ticket now. And on top of it, uh, I I tried to count it up. This is an unofficial count. The last drive that they had against Minnesota was, I think, a 43-yard drive after after the interception return. And if I counted it up right, I think it was either the 13th or 14th scoring drive Iowa's offense has this year of 44 or less yards. Right, they they have yeah. one scoring drive of minus four yards. They returned it, lost four yards, and kicked a field goal. Uh, I think that was the <laughs> Illinois game. Um, and and and, and at one of the Illinois games, they at one of the drives in Illinois, I think they went in and we can joke about it, but they're the ones with the last laugh playing at Lucas Oil next week. But um, they I think one of the drives at Illinois, they had it like first and ten at the twenty-two and ended up with like a fourth and thirty-eight back at near midfield and had to punt. So, um, but but their defense certainly gets it done. The other thing about that game last week, I think the. Col- Cold had something to do with it. I think the officials were freezing and said, "We're just going to get out of here. No penalties on either team. First time since 1986 uh, is what we were told this week that uh, a Division One football game went without penalties. I, I do believe there was probably some something to do with how cold it was, and the refs are like, unless it's egregious, we're getting the heck off this field because we're freezing. But that's still a pretty clean, cleanly played game, and and um, and and and, the, and really, that's one of the other hallmarks I think with the three programs that there's some similarities in how they play, but they're also all pretty disciplined over the years.
2: It's been one of the differences with this Wisconsin team this season. It's been a little bit better uh, here in these last couple of weeks, but even last week, you know, the the penalty total wasn't dramatically high, but they were really ill-timed. One near the goal line, there was a targeting penalty that, you know, Wisconsin disagrees with but a a penalty it was then right after that there was a a late hit on the quarterback uh but wisconsin you we see minnesota and i try to tell fans here because obviously pj fleck is polarizing outside of the state of minnesota i said you know think what you will but their teams don't get a lot of penalties against them. They, they play a very disciplined brand and the best Wisconsin teams have been along those lines, but this year they're in the one hundreds, the low one hundreds in, in penalty yards per game. And, and, you know, I think of a, you know, a couple of games that they've lost this season. That's been a major factor. And in the last, maybe a couple, three years, uh, it, more penalties than usual against a Wisconsin team where the Badgers have been pretty good is, uh, their turnover margin's of plus three. They protected the ball better. Graham Mertz has been better this season than, than he has been in the previous two. Uh, still, you know, He's gotten away with some throws, but he's thrown a couple picks. We talked about the Iowa game. But that penalty stat is something that has stung Wisconsin a bit, and you just can't help but note it. But notice, how clean the Gophers have been in regards to not committing
0: penalties. Well, um, I've already kept you longer than I promised, but you're so fascinating uh, I had to keep you a little long, so I appreciate it.
2: (laughs) Matter, I was extremely windy today, even by my own windy standards.
0: You get get a couple Big Ten radio guys going, and who knows how long it can last, right?
2: Exactly. Well, I look forward to seeing you and Daryl and everybody up uh, or down here in Madison this weekend.
0: Can't wait to get there. Always fun. Look forward to seeing you. Thank you, Matt. All right, Mike, take care. All right, there he is, Matt LePay, episode 46, the Go Gopher podcast. My thanks to 11-time Wisconsin Sportscaster of the Year, Matt LePay, for giving us the scoop on Badger football. We enjoyed that conversation. My thanks also to Gophers guru, Daniel House. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Go Gopher podcast episode 46 as much as I enjoyed hosting it. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit Sunbelt, Minnesota, or TNMA.com. We're also partnered with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, a locally member owned full service financial invested in you. You can learn more at AffinityPlus.org/slash gophers They have a top-ranked mobile app as well. And we're also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to Past Podcast, and please be sure to subscribe right now to the Go Gopher Podcast. It's free to listen at any time. And please promote the podcast on your social media channels so others can listen. We'll talk again next week.